Uh, my name's Josh. I lead students here, and I get to preach from time to time with Luke out. You'll be seeing a lot of me this summer, so this is my apology on the front end. You'll get one apology, and that's it, but you'll see a lot of me this summer uh, in the book of Mark. We are in the book of Mark right now. Ricardo was here last week, and I thought he did an unbelievable job kind of unpacking all of Mark and then really getting you into the story there of the, the demon-possessed man. So I just want to recap real quick just the theme of Mark. I'm not going to go back through all the chapters, but the theme of Mark comes in Mark 1. Jesus comes on the scene. So God created this world. It fell into sin. Jesus comes down on the scene, and the first thing he says to humanity is this statement, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. God made a world, the world rebelled, God came back down into the world, and the first thing he says to all of humanity is this, repent, turn around, the kingdom of God is now here. And that is what Mark in the Bible is about. Specifically, Mark is trying to show us the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what it's all about. Now, here's where a lot of Christians and people kind of get sideways and stuck and just a little distracted as they go to God's word and they just don't really sense that or feel that. Too often, people, myself included at the top of the list, we try to read ourselves into the story over and over and over again. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand and the king is here and we try to read every verse and every punctuation mark into us and our lives and make us this ho the hero of this story. The fact is, Jesus is the hero. We're just coming along for the ride. It goes like this. How many of you guys love movies? How many of you guys love movies about competitive cheerleading? A few people, Mike Creo and Abe Homan, well done. Bring it on, the greatest movie ever made about competitive cheerleading. Anybody seen it? Yeah, Josh Reese has seen it. It's his favorite go-to movie. What about this? The greatest sequel ever made in competitive cheerleading. Bring it on, too. So it's on my movie queue to watch at some point in my life. For this reason and this reason alone. I have a dear friend, my buddy Rob in Texas, was an extra in Bring It On, Too. So I want to watch it, and I'm going to spend the hour and 45 minutes or whatever it takes to unpack the story of competitive cheerleading. I'm going to watch it scene after scene after scene looking for Rob Clark and his shiny bald head in some swarm of people. And I'm going to say, boom, got it. I've seen Bring It On too, and I saw my boy Rob Clark. What does that have to do with the Bible and Jesus and Mark? Too often, we, the extras in this whole story playing out, try to insert ourselves as the main point, and we miss the grand story going on. Bring It On 2 is not about Rob Clark Jr., if you guys did not know that. It's about cheerleaders. Mark is about the kingdom of God, and specifically the king, not about the extras. So, so often we get into our Bible and we're constantly trying to insert ourselves into this story. Is this Bible written for us? Yes, absolutely. Is it written towards us and for our lives in practical ways? Absolutely. But we insert ourselves as the main point time and time again, and that's not what God has in mind. Let me just give you a real practical tool. I, I used to read the Bible like this. It's just kind of a tool I picked up. There's basically two things that popped up, pop up in the Bible in terms of what God's trying to communicate. One is an indicative, one is an imperative. Indicative is this, a fact. Jesus did something, Jesus proved to be something, Jesus rose from the dead, indicative. It's a promise, it's a fact. This happened, this is here. So what I would do, at least for a season in my life, is every time I came across something like that, I would underline it in red. This is a promise. Josh, red means stop, 
and really get into the promise that God's unpacking for you here or the reality of what actually happened. The other one is an imperative. It's a command. Go, do this, or don't do this. This is kind of shaping how you should live. That's an uh, imperative. I would underline that in green. Go, do this, or go, don't do this. So my Bible, for a long period of time, had reds and greens. I just want to show you so we kind of get on the same page as we unpack this passage. Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43, there is one sentence that should be underlined green. The rest should be underlined red. Just take a second real quick for your own benefit. Look through that. Just scan it quickly. And I want to see if you can find the green commandment, the do this or don't do this thing. You can shout it out and prove your awesomeness if you like. I hear it over here. The holy side says, do not fear. Verse 36, do not fear, only believe. So here's the reality. Whether it's a preacher up here or you on Tuesday morning with crazy kids like Val trying to get into God's word. Here's the fact of what just happened. We just read a big, long passage. Only one little sentence in there is green, meaning here's what you should do in light of this. That means everything else before and after this little Snippet is red, meaning this happened, this is a fact, this is Jesus communicating himself to you. So let me just read it again so we get the point of what God wants from us because of this passage. He says this in verse 36 at the end. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, the guy who lost his daughter, do not fear, only believe. It's present tense language in the Greek, which means don't keep fearing, keep on believing. Don't keep in your fear, don't keep pressing into your fear, don't keep letting your fear overcome you, but press into truth and belief. That's the point. That's what everyone should walk out of here with. Now, what do we bank that on? My, I've got three little boys. They're awesome. Elijah, Roman, Jude. Just amazing. They're always scared, Roman specifically, of monsters. Dad, me dot monsters in my room. I said, well, let me take care of this. And I walk in and rip the shirt off and take the Nerf gun and just blast away swords and kill all the monsters in his room. And then I say, don't be scared, buddy. Dad will take care of it. Now, who's going to be afraid of a middle-aged man ripping off a shirt coming in the room? No one. But he's two. He doesn't get that. The point is, Jesus here says this one statement to us. Every person in the room, he says this. Don't keep fearing. Keep on believing. Why? Because Jesus is going to bust on the scene and show you why you should not keep fearing, but keep on believing. So this passage is about Jesus, not about us necessarily. Jesus is the first and foremost thing we should get out of this passage. So all I want to do today is give us a captivating picture of Jesus as the healer. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this prescription of healing that we see with these people. I don't want to focus so much on the how to do of the healing. I want to look at Jesus, the healer. Just take a step back and watch him do his thing. So we can see him bust onto the scene and we go to bed well because we're not afraid anymore. Don't keep fearing, keep on believing. So we're going to look at Jesus. You mind if we do that? Let me pray real quick. Just ask him to help us. God, we all fear. There's fears in this room right now. There's plethora of different fears. A lot of them tied up in the two instances we'll see in this passage. Help us. We are a scared bunch. No matter how much we put on a facade, we are fearful. Part of being human is being afraid. Help us to see you as the great healer, the Lord of healing in this passage today, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
All right, five things I'm going to look at. First one, let's get into it. Jesus, our great healer is this, from this passage, is accessible. So he's not a doctor that you'll never be able to afford. He's not the specialist that could cure your kid, but there's no way you'd ever have the means to get there. Jesus is accessible. He's approachable. He wants you to come in and have a relationship with him. How do I get that? Let's go to verse 21. We got, again, two stories bouncing around in here. We're going to look at both of them. Verse 21 says this, Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. A great crowd gathered about him. So basically from here on out, people are following Jesus in huge crowds. And he was beside the sea. So last week, Ricardo, we watched him take out the demon. He's come back to the Jewish side of the uh, lake there. Then, he, then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Verse 24. And he went with them. Jesus goes with them. Let's keep reading. And a great crowd followed him even more and thronged about him. That word throng is basically like a mosh pit. So Jesus is doing his thing. People are following him. Then it gets so intense that basically there's just pushing and punching and scratching to get to the center, the epicenter, this Jesus guy. So now it came from a crowd to a mosh pit moving in a direction. And now we see another gal come on the scene. Um, Verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? What's the point we see here? Two people. Jairus works for the Jewish church synagogue. He's a respected guy. He's probably like an admin guy, the finance. He's in charge of giving and all that. He is a good, solid Jewish guy. Well respected. Everyone want to be around him. And we have a woman who has a discharge of blood. Leviticus talks about that. You can picture what that'd be like for 12 years. Not only physically, just the torment involved with that, the Jewish religion had specific rules about that sort of thing, bleeding and discharge, and she was ceremonial, unclean. She could not go near people. She could not touch people, hence probably why she grabbed his garment, not his body. Religious guy, good dude, moral, good kids, good family, good background, good everything. Woman, outcast, shouldn't be anywhere near him. And Jesus stops for both of them. He goes with the man. And then on his way, as he's walking with the man, stops and engages the woman in conversation. The first thing we need to see about Jesus in the realm of healing is that he is fully accessible. He is not Two people off. He's a, you don't call like you do most medical places and get a switchboard, and then you got to hit a number, and then you hit another number, and then you hit another number. You get Jesus Christ when you call on him. Proverbs says like this. He gives grace to the humble. He comes towards people who are humble. This man, in humility, knowing he had nothing to offer his daughter, comes, and Jesus goes with him. This woman who has nothing to give him, especially nothing religious or great or righteous, she's an outcast, comes in humility and faith, and Jesus engages her in conversation. Jesus is accessible. That's the first thing we need to see. In this, um, one thing just as a dad I'm struck by is the attention Jesus gives to people. 
He is never too busy. He's never too rushed. My son said, we just turned five and we do a little birthday interview. And I said, what's, what's one thing of dad you don't like? <laughs> Scary question to ask, especially as I get into teen years. But five, I'm okay with his answer. He says, I don't like that you always say quickly. Quickly. Everything's got to be done quickly. He didn't say, he's like, you always say quickly. You got to get dressed quickly. You got to eat quickly. You got to do this quickly, quickly, because I've got this attention span right here and I've got to do stuff. I, quickly, son, quickly, quick, 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 quick. Jesus never once said, come on, lady. I'm, I'm heading this way. Quick, quickly. Figure it out. Spit it out. Quickly. You don't get that from Jesus. He stops. He walks with people. He talks with people. He engages people in conversation. Our great healer, Jesus, is accessible. That is good news. He's not the, the God of Islam. You ask Muslims about God and he is always distant. Always distant. He's powerful and great and mighty and holy and just and all these things, but he is never a friend. Jesus is our friend who was never going to yell at us quickly. Come on, Elijah, quickly. We've got time for this. Quickly. That's not in his vocabulary. He is accessible. He wants to be with you. What's the next thing we see? This was kind of funny, and that just shows I'm not a very smart guy. I was trying to think through it. So as I read this passage, Jesus basically has two people in need healing, and he heals both of them. So I'm like, what's the word for when he, like, fixes stuff? He's capable, powerful. I'm, like, in the office trying to figure out. And Matthew Brazelton, I'm like, what's the word I'm looking for? He just said able. Jesus Christ is able. I know that may sound like a weird point to preach on, but we need to hear that. Jesus can fix anything. This picture shows it. Two of the greatest fears in humanity, whether you're a first-century Jew or a current American, Chronic, long-lasting pain. That's why in America we're going through uh, end-of-life laws and when can you kill yourself and make it a mercy killing because chronic, never-ending pain is horrible. You got that and then you got the death of a child. The sickness of a child, which ultimately led to her death. And Jesus ends both of those situations saying he is 100% able. He is able. Me. Jesus can fix whatever it is you are currently dealing with in your life like that. He is 100% able. That's not what a lot of people believe, and that's not what is kind of circulating in a lot of thoughts and worldviews going on right now. I love a guy named R.C. Sproul. He's just a good old pastor boy in Florida. But he was on this interview and they said, tell me the biggest threats to Christianity right now. And he said, I think open theism. I don't know if you've ever heard open theism. It's okay if you haven't. It's essentially this. It's this world is messed up and goofy and God can't really be that in control. So what they do is they take the grandness of God, the glory of God, the fact that God really can do anything and does whatever he wants, and they start to shrink that God into a God that makes sense to the human brain. So open theism basically is God doesn't know or really control the future, essentially. He kind of has bits and pieces to work with, but just like you and I, looking ahead to Wednesday, this is God's view. And he's just as human as you and I. So when your kid's sick, and when your wife leaves you, 
That's the sort of thought that is going around and capturing people because they try to make sense of the fact that God supposedly can fix anything. He's not, so his eyes must be closed. God is able, absolutely 100% to fix whatever he wants, change whatever he wants, do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. Able, 100%. Apostle Paul in Colossians tried to describe it like this. Talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And we see a glimpse of that in this passage. All things hold together. A woman with a chronic issue of bleeding for 12 years and fixes it like that. A girl who died... Death means nothing to him because all things hold together by, and he raises her from the dead. Now let's just pause because we should feel the tension in this. This isn't the reality we all experience. We don't all get the Jesus that's accessible and 100% able because we have pain and suffering right now in our lives. We've been through it. We're going to go through it. And we know that this, there's just a tension in all this. How do you start to reconcile this? Well, there's one, there's one way to do it is you do what Channel 21 preachers do and you just go to the passages that line up with this grandiose Jesus that fixes everything and you go to Jeremiah 29, 11, says God has this great future for you to prosper you, not to harm you and all these passages that speak to God's love and care in your immediate circumstances and then you build an entire theology on that and then you convince people that that's what Jesus is like and then you, they come to you for healing so they can get fixed because that's what Jesus is all about. Just a quick little story. I was put up for adoption. Why you would ever give this up, I don't know, but it wasn't my, wasn't my call. Traded for a bag of oatmeal pies or something. I don't know what, how it went down. But my mom had me. She wasn't in the right mind. They kind of kept me in the family, traded me off, you know. Hey, we'll, we'll trade you a Josh for your Cocker Spaniel. Cool. Swap. So now I'm in a different family. My biological mom gets saved, and then she contracts a horrible disease that ultimately will take her life. In that process, she has another boy, Josh and my brother. I'm raised in a different home. I meet Jesus just the same through my dad. He meets, he sees Jesus in our mom. And here's what happens. My mom gets saved. God bless her heart. She falls in love with Jesus. She gets this disease. And then according to my uncle and people around a lot, she dives headfirst into the idea that God wants to heal you. Channel 21 says I should be healed. If I just touch his garment, if I just give this face seed, if I just sprinkle this water, if I just pray this prayer, if my faith is just good enough, I will be healed. And she dives headfirst into it. And my brother watches this theology play itself out and then mom dies. And you're left trying to make sense of it all because you stopped it. Jesus is able. He is accessible and he is able, but it's more than that. He's not just here to fix all of our problems. You sense that, like, if God loves us, why, why, why? And here's the word I came up with out of this passage. Jesus is mysterious. There's just a mystery to how this plays itself out. Let's just be very honest. Some of you are in a lot of pain and suffering right now, and there is a mystery to it that you wish you had answers to. All of us will go through this sort of thing. Our loved ones are sick. 
I mean, the two, my two biggest fears, chronic pain and something happening to my kids. Luke tells us that this is his only daughter. So the first thing I see is there's a, just a mystery to what God allows. It's not a mystery to God. Get that straight. It's a mystery on the human level. This woman had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Why? Picture back 12 years, a decade plus two. Where were you? And then fill in every day from that moment until now with some chronic ailment that you can't shake. And that's this woman's reality. Why? It does not say. We rest in God's character, but he does not give us clear, good American answers that all tie together. He leaves a mystery to how this plays itself out. At least with the guy, we see a little bit of the mystery on play. My daughter is sick. Come with me, please. Let's go. And then he gets caught up in a conversation. And while this conversation is going on, his buddy comes and says, your daughter is now dead. Forget about it. And that man is left in that moment. This guy could have fixed my daughter, and he's stuck in this conversation, and now my only child is dead. Why? There is a huge mystery to how God plays this world out, especially in the lives of those he loves, because we know his love, we see it, we see it in the cross, and then circumstances don't match up with what we think it, love feels like. Job is just a great example of this. Job is 42 chapters. It's in the Old Testament, kind of part of the Psalm section. But it's so interesting. 42 chapters, the first chapter is this. Basically just talking about the greatness of Job. Job is amazing. There's never been another man like him. He is the greatest thing since sliced bread. His kids are awesome. His land is awesome. His oxen. He's got everything, a fat 401k. He's got vacation. Everything is good about Job. And then it switched next. So that's like that much of Job 1. And then the next section is this weird section in heaven. And then the angels and Satan came to have a powwow with God. And they're just kind of chatting about how things are going down here. Still, nothing too crazy. And then God says this, Satan, have you seen my boy Job? I haven't. He's got everything. Why don't you have Adam, essentially? You can take anything, just don't kill him. And then chapter 2 to chapter 42 is essentially a horrible Christian small group of these dumb Christians trying to answer why he's in so much pain and suffering. <laughs> well, did you have quiet times M most of the time? Are you praying about it? What's your diet like? Are you using essential oils? <laughs> You're not? Well, there it is. <laughs> Are you giving faithfully, sacrificially, and joyfully in all those lees we should give? Like? And here's just what's stupid about Job. You could have ended Job anywhere. Someone would have said, let's just ask God. And God would have said this. It is a mystery on your level, but I know what I'm doing. Essentially, God, why is this happening? Because. <laughs> because that's, that's what God gives us? Yes, 
because with a whole litany of things he's done for us and is doing for us and a cross where he took on way more pain and suffering than we'll ever take, but he gives us because so many times in this life that we need to rest in. There is a mystery to how this plays itself out. I've realized this about me. I always thought I was kind of tough. I'm not that tough. I want to fix problems very quickly for people. My kids, my own problems, I just want stuff fixed. And that's probably not going to play itself out well as a dad if that's what I do over and over again. I want to fix it. I want stuff fixed. I want stuff better. I want people happy. I want people joyful. So does God, but he knows it all, and there's a mystery to how he is letting this play itself out in our lives. There is a mystery that I hope my mom understood at some point. I hope my brother understands that mystery. Behind that mystery, behind that, that curtain that's blocking the clearness of Jesus is goodness and graciousness. And a God who is accessible and able and can fix anything, but he doesn't all the time. There's a mystery to how God lets all this happen. There's even a mystery. I like just how these two people get healed. The one woman comes and her kind of faith would seem superstitious to us. All I got to do is go touch his fringe of his garment. And this other guy comes and says, I just got to get near him and hopefully he can fix Now, you could write a book on how to heal based off these two that would never work out in a million years for other people. You don't get healed by going to Jesus and doing a specific sort of faith ritual. This is how it works. You go to him and you touch it like this and then he works and jumps into your life on your behalf. Or you go like this religious man who left behind his religious boys who were probably the ones who killed Jesus and jump in, put your face down in front of him and say, I implore you, Jesus, please help me. He fixed it for these two people, but that does not guarantee that's how it works in our life. That's why Channel 21 and all these goofy things where it's all tied up in your faith, you're just going to be so depressed. Like, is is it enough faith? Is there enough faith inside of me for this to kind of get God to work on my behalf? No, but there's enough grace on his side to work on your behalf right now or to put the pause button and let you suffer through this a while for good reasons. It's not about our faith and what we bring to him. Should we go to him and pray and go to the elders and have oil put on people hurting? Yes. But none of that is a guarantee like we like guarantees here in this country. It's a mystery to all this. How does that help? It's better than the alternative. Making up the false God who just wants to jump into your life and fix everything whenever you turn on the television. There is a mystery to his love and his care and his compassion when he's working with pain and suffering. That's, that's true. Hope you guys sense that. There is a mystery to how this is happening. Next point is, we see in both stories, Jesus is compassionate. Where do I see that? With both women, I see this specific thing. He speaks in a heart language. He is not a cold, distant doctor who speaks in medical language to these people. He is a loving father. He calls the woman who gets healed of everything daughter, daughter, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. What he just said that moment, you are no longer an outcast. You're my child. Your faith has made you well. Made you well means sozo, salvation. You have been saved because of your faith and my love for you, daughter. Go in peace. All that animosity and off to the sideness you felt by society is over. You are at peace with God, peace with Jesus. You are my daughter. You are completely healed. Go on, daughter. 
There is a family language Jesus uses. And then with the girl, as she rises from the dead, Talitha, Kumi, little girl. Now, what's weird about this, this is the same language that is spoken. Why take this language and highlight what Jesus just said here? It'd be like speaking in English and then say, translate it into English. That doesn't make any sense. It does. He just wants to highlight the affection and love and care he has for this. I grew up with one Mexican grandma, and they, in a lot of Hispanic culture, they say stuff like mijo, mija. It's like your most affectionate way you can dress a little person. And that's what Jesus is trying to highlight. Talitha, little girl. Whatever it is in your life, I don't know why people's affectionate language. Ours is always mad at our kids. So. But sweetie, sugar, baby boy, sweet thing. He is compassionate, and he addresses us in heart language, not a cold, distant language. And then I love both these stories. He takes care of all the needs in his compassion. The little girl rises from the dead, and then verse 43, he charged them that no one should know this, but before he left, he told them, give her something to eat. Jesus' compassion does not stay in the mysterious realm. He is still compassionately involved in your life, taking care of little details along the way. Give her something to eat. She's hungry. He just did the most amazing thing ever. He raised somebody from the dead, and he's not gloating and look at me. He's still affectionately in tune to the girl and her needs. Give her a Twinkie. She's hungry. Well, give her some essential oils. That'll make sure this never happens again. Whatever. You get what I'm saying. She, he knows. He takes care of the little things. He is compassionate. This is good Jesus. Repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. The king is here. If you read yourself too quickly into stories, you miss all these wonderful effects Jesus has on people and the way he cares for people. He is compassionate. And then lastly, as I've kind of tried to figure out how to wrap this up, what's the bow on all this? Like, what's the thing that just encompasses this great truth about Jesus in, the, in this healing? And the only word I could come up with is Jesus is better. He's better. Where do I come up with that? If you were to remove Jesus out of the situation and just set him aside and look at it from a worldly stance, you're a journalist taking note of what's happening in the lives of these people. Here's the picture that's painted. For the woman, it says this, verse 25, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better but rather grew worse. You could have all the resources in the world, the best doctors, the best food, the best diets, the best homes, the best schools, the best churches, the best teachers, the best everything. List it. Best 401k, best pension, best everything like this woman went for, and you could be no better off but worse. (laughs) That's essentially saying this world can offer you the best of everything, yet no guarantees on any of it. Absolutely no guarantees on your kids' health, on your health, on your education, on your financial situation, on your marriage. There's no guarantees. This woman had a world of resources at her beck and call, and she was no better off but worse. Let that sink. If you're not a Christian, I love you. I'm so glad you're here. I just want you to think about that truth, though. The best, this, especially young people who think this world's going to offer you something. You're just silly and young and don't know yet. But the world offers you lots of stuff. No guarantees. 
Absolutely none. You could be a sweet little girl who wants to meet her prince, prince Charming, and you finally meet him, and you guys are both Christians, and you waited for each other. There is no guarantee that thing plays itself out like you always envisioned. There's just none. Now, that may sound hard. Whoa, I didn't come to church for this. What, the truth? Like, we all know this is true. We all know there's no guarantees on any of this. What's the other thing offered? With the child over here. Jesus, verse 38 says this. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. List out all the resources, everything you have at your beck and call. There's no guarantees. The other thing this world offers, at the end of a good life, whatever that is, you could have a really good funeral. In the Jewish culture, they kind of hired people to come and weep and wail and be a part of the mourning process. Take Jesus out of this situation. You can have everything you think is going to work for your life and make you happy and wealthy and whatever. No guarantees. And at the end of your life, you could have a wonderful funeral with lots of people saying nice things with wonderful music. That's what the world offers. Jesus Christ is better than all that. Jesus Christ is not a doctor trying to keep up with the current trends. I just didn't see this one coming. He is Lord of the human body. Amen? Amen. He is better. He is not trying to keep up with every new medical advancement that happens that's going to extend our life by another three years. Cancer is going to wipe a lot of us out. Probably me. Every grandparent I've ever had, cancer. Jesus is not racking his brain for the cure. He could end it. He is the Lord of the human body in every ailment we've ever had. He is better. And he's not a funeral teacher, preacher, worship leader. He ends funerals. He walked in this funeral. Everyone's weeping, wailing, and the funeral came to an end as the little girl got up and he handed her a Twinkie. Jesus is better. Period. That's what Mark's about. That's what the Bible's about. That's what this world is about, getting us to believe and see and trust that. Now let me go back to where we started. Verse 36. There's only one thing that's green in this entire section that we're told to go do. Now in light of all this, Jesus says this. Do not fear, only believe. Don't keep fearing, keep on believing. Jesus is good and he's here for us and he's able to fix anything although his his mysterious will is unknown to us but it's good and he's compassionate and he's far better than anything this world offers part of how we get truths in our head is we sing we're going to sing a song here in a second it is well with my soul you guys have ever sung the song it's a great song the guy who wrote it horatio spafford rich wealthy had it all lawyer Four kids, beautiful wife. Chicago fire wiped out his business, financial ruins. To get his family some space and some breathing room, he says, let's go to England and go on a little vacation. We need to get away from all this. He books the tickets. Last minute, he has to stay back, take care of some stuff. He sends his wife and daughters across the Atlantic, and the ship crashes and goes down. Four four daughters die. Wife somehow survives. She gets to England, telegrams him, saved but alone. Gets on a ship, goes across, right above, they say, where all this happened, he writes this song. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, 
when life is good, it's well with my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll, when he doesn't show up like he did here, it is well with my soul. This is an act of God's grace and Holy Spirit in our life for us to even think this way. For those of you suffering, going through a lot, it is well with my soul. I want you to just sing it from your heart. Ask God to help you believe that truth. He is the true, better healer, physician that this earth has to offer. Far better than anything we could ever go find on our own. And he loves you, even in the mystery of your pain and suffering. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. None of us can fathom creating a world where pain and suffering seems to be used by you in a loving way, but we trust that you know what you're doing. Your eyes are not closed. You are good. We see a little snippet of this in this picture. We see that nothing is ultimately final in your kingdom. Death is sleeping, and pain is just a, a short hiccup, as we hear in Corinthians. God, but this is still hard to believe. It's hard to see you as better when everything seems bad. Help us as a people to really trust this. It is better to be with you. You are better than the, everything the world has to offer. God, thank you. Thank you for your word that encourages us, that gives us lots of truths and facts to dwell on. And then and only then do you give us what we should go do or believe or trust out of that, God. Help us to trust you more. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.